All right, just for fun, I want to try something this morning. I'd love to get a sense of who our hometown folks are. All right, so do me a favor. Would you stand and remain standing if you consider yourself a homegrown product of the great state of Illinois? All right, who are our lifelong Illinois folks? And keep standing. It's actually quite a bit. That's more than half for sure. All right, remain standing if you consider yourself from the Fox Valley. Let's call it St. Charles, Geneva, Alburn, Batavia, South Elgin. You guys were holding on to the end. Where were you? Sycamore. You know Sycamore. Yeah, let's add Sycamore in. Why not? Yeah. All right, so these are the people. All right, last one. Remain standing if you grew up in this church. This building, the old building, it doesn't matter. Who are our born and raised CUCCers? We have a few. We have, that's actually more than I thought. We got like nine, ten of you. All right, you guys can sit down too, but let's take a second just to like recognize how cool that is. Now that really was just because our capital campaign committee needed to know who has strong ties to the community. <laughs> and so, uh, Sue, you got them? You'll be hearing from them soon. <laughs> just kidding. I ask because there's interesting dynamics with our hometowns, right? With the, the places we grew up in, they have a powerful impact on us. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a hard thing. I grew up objectively in one of the most beautiful places on earth. Get this, 45 minutes west of me is the Pacific Ocean and the constantly ranked most livable and beautiful city in the world, Vancouver. And then 45 minutes east of me is the Fraser Canyon, right? A still untamed wilderness of mountains, old growth forests, rivers and lakes that uh, you just can't imagine unless you've seen it, and I grew up right where those two worlds collide. No joke, the last time I was home and then drove across the U.S. border, the American Border Patrol officer looked at my ID, took notice that I lived in St. Charles, and she said to Julia and I, that's crazy, I grew up in Batavia. <laughs> and then she goes, I've got only one question for you, sir. Why would you live there if you could live here. Now, don't take it personally, right? I, I'll tell you, the Fox Valley is one of my favorite places I've lived outside of my hometown. That's what we tell people. That's what we told her. But her question was a legitimate one, right? Why here and not there? Why not a grand homecoming? Well, there's a, a couple of nuanced things that often come up as part of that discussion. And I'll tell you one of them, and this is something that I've spoken to Julia several times. I'd love to live in my hometown, but I don't know if I'd enjoy being a pastor there. I just don't know what that would feel like. And you may wonder why. As a recent example, a kid I went to middle school with reached out to me on Facebook just two weeks ago, all right? And here's his message, directly quoted. Hey, man, 
how's life treating you? I creeped your page. I was not expecting to see, quote, pastor. But then again, we haven't spoken since seventh grade. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that literally, that was it. I don't think it'd be great for my career to tell you all the things I may or may not have done by the age of 12 that would cause someone to be shocked that I ended up a pastor. But let's just say I lived a lot of life before seventh grade. (laughs) But the point is, or maybe like the real point is, it's actually that I've lived a lot of life since seventh grade. Right, the hometown dynamic, it's often less about who we were and more about who we've become since. Things have happened, right? Things have happened, I've gone through things that have shaped me, stirred me, at times just like straight up changed me. I've had two lung surgeries and five emergency chest tubes jammed in there, causing me to reevaluate how fragile life is right, and how quickly it can all be taken away. I had an opportunity to live in the largest slum in sub-Saharan Africa, and I use slum in like the technical sense. And while there, I, I witnessed some of the hardest scenes of my life, and I also witnessed some of the most spirit-filled, joyous, and generous faith communities that I could ever imagine. I wouldn't be half of who I was if it wasn't for like all of that. As a sophomore in college, I chose to spend a night sleeping on the streets of Grand Rapids, Michigan, because I wanted to better understand the experience of homelessness, during which I accidentally scratched my back while a police officer approached, and he drew his gun on me. During seminary, Julie and I lived in an intentional community. It was made up of refugees and families experiencing homelessness. I even had the opportunity to take two homeless teenagers with me to Costa Rica to help establish a new ministry partnership. I've had the chance to preach now in five different countries and I've worked for four different Christian denominations. I don't have a lot of hair left, but I still feel young. And along the way, right, I met the love of my life. We ran a group home for neglected, behaviorally challenged kids. We, man, we had some kids of our own. And somehow became a pastor in the United Church of Christ. Right? Needless to say, I don't even remotely feel like the same person I was in seventh grade. That was like 26 versions of Josh ago. And that's a lot to explain to people. Now I'm gonna take a shot in the dark and say that your story is probably not exactly the same as mine, but I know you have a story. Whether you stuck around home, you came back later in life, you pop in once a year to say hi to your mom, hometowns, they like, they do something to us. They trigger something. Maybe you've experienced hometown anxiety that like discomfort, right? Or that feeling of unease or stress triggered by, I don't know, memories of past encounters, pressures to to live up to expectations or like changes in relationships with your family, with your friends. Maybe hometown regression, 
I get, raise your hand, like, this is the thing. Hometown regression, slipping back into like old roles or old behaviors because it's just easier than explaining how you've grown, how you've changed, how you've evolved over time. Hometown nostalgia, right? Regardless of how cool your hometown is or isn't, you still picture it as a utopia of homecoming parades and pizza parties. It's a thing. Anyone? Anyone feel those feels when they think about being home or coming home as an adult? Well, all of that is just leading us into today's story where Jesus returns to his hometown for the first time since his miraculous baptism, since his 40-day fast, since his temptations in the wilderness. Jesus left town the son of a carpenter, and he's coming back a traveling street preacher and miracle maker who's been gaining followers and attention. He's coming back to Nazareth and Galilee, and he's going to walk into his hometown synagogue, the church he grew up in, and things get a little crazy. So let's read this one together. It's from Luke chapter 4. Now Jesus returned to Galilee and the power of the spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and take note of this part. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Now I want to pause to just draw you into this scene a little back, a little more. Jesus is back home, right? He's in the synagogue he grew up in. He has all these memories in the building, right? The Sunday school classrooms where he first learned to pray, the, the youth room that always has this weird smell about it, right? The sanctuary where he spent time worshiping with his family, he, he's back. And maybe you remember a couple weeks ago, we were pulled into a story where Jesus was lost in Jerusalem as just a little boy. And then he was found in the temple, right, holding court with all the top religious leaders, asking hard questions of them. Yeah, and I, I kind of picture Jesus, I, I bet that, that he was that kid in his hometown synagogue as well, right? Always asking hard questions. I'm sure his priests remembered him as a kid, but now he's all grown up. He's an unordained street preacher traveling the countryside, and everyone's talking about him. Church is extra full that morning because he's there, which is a little shot to the priest's ego. And then we read he stands, he stands to read in front of everyone. You can hear a pin drop And what do the priests do? As we just read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Now, for those of you that don't know, the book of Isaiah is the fourth longest book in the Bible. And I would say certainly one of the most complex. Do me a favor, raise your hand if you've ever read from a scroll. Me neither. Never. 
but I had a chance to spend time at a traveling Dead Sea Scroll exhibit like 20 years ago. You see, there were a bunch of ancient scrolls that were discovered in caves in Qumran, and a bunch of these scrolls were actually complete books of the Bible. The most famous and impressive scroll discovered is known as the Great Scroll of Isaiah because it was 24 feet long. Right? It's hard enough to find your place in a Bible with page numbers and chapter numbers slowly rolling your way through 24 feet of handwritten calligraphy. Good luck. Can you picture it? You feel the energy? This isn't your friendly work tour sharing Sunday, right? There's, there's ego. I like to think there's jealousy, priestly competition. As I read it, they pass him the longest and most complex scroll they can get their hands on it with a little, uh, all right, kid, go for it. And not only does Jesus handle the pressure well, he crushes it. Let's read this. Jesus stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled the scroll up, gave it back to the attendants, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened to him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the sermon mic drop moment, right? The hometown kid reads a complex and hard-to-find oracle in the middle of the book of Isaiah, and then essentially says, it's talking about me. And the crowd loves it. We keep reading. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came out of his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Right? Isn't this just the carpenter's son? Didn't he mow lawns in the summer and shovel driveways in the winter? Where'd he learn to do this? Then Jesus said to them, Surely you'll quote this proverb for me. Physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophets accepted in his hometown. I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah wasn't sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman, the Syrian. Now we could dive into those two examples all day, but essentially what he's saying is, is you people think you have a monopoly on God, that I'm going to perform extra God miracles here because this is my hometown. Well, guess what? The best prophets save their best work 
for people who weren't in their hometown. In fact, they saved their very best miracles for people who weren't even Jewish. Right? In a way, he's saying, so so you want me to dance for you. You want me to put on a show. But I'm about to do something that's so much bigger, this town can't even wrap their minds around it. And as you might have expected, the second half of his sermon doesn't go over as well. We'll finish off the reading. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. That, my friends, is Jesus. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I feel like many people have a pretty domesticated image of Jesus, right? Like petting sheep and and holding children. Uh, But the Jesus I read in the Bible is just a little bit more provocative than that. And I think it's worth noting that he isn't just stirring the pot for the sake of stirring the pot. I think we we bump into Jesus. He's stirring the pot because for him, proclaiming good news to the poor, right? Proclaiming freedom for the prisoners, proclaiming recovery of sight to the blind, self-determination for the oppressed, right? This radical ushering in of the year of the Lord's favor and grace, that stuff is everything for Jesus, right? That's the stuff that for him was completely worth dying for. Jesus already is so focused on living out his life purpose that that he stopped counting the cost, right? Which is a good thing because he almost gets thrown off a cliff, right? This escalates pretty quickly in today's passage. And if I haven't made it abundantly clear yet, this is his hometown. And that's kind of the crazy part. These people knew him. They knew his mom and dad. These were kids that he grew up with, and yet they're willing to murder him in front of the entire village. Right? Hear me out, because I know this may sound funny. I don't want to say that Jesus deserved to be crucified, But given the fact that his hometown is ready to murder him after his very first sermon, I don't think it surprised people that eventually the chief priests have him executed. That's Jesus right from the beginning. Maybe you can tell why now he is on my list of heroes. Why I find his life and his way so compelling so exciting, and and honestly, so needed. Next week, we're going to catch up with Jesus again, and the story's about a bunch of religious folks complaining that Jesus and his disciples are not religious enough for them. Surprise, surprise. But until then, what is your takeaway? What is the application or the life lesson from this story? Are there like three helpful hints of how to not get thrown off a cliff the next time you go home? (laughs) There's a lot of cool pieces layered throughout this text. But this week, I want to challenge you 
but just a little bit of a project that I think really could be, could be fruitful. It, it could be a really, a really fruitful exercise. First, I want to encourage you to reread this story a time or two at any point throughout your week. Try to feel what Jesus must have been feeling as he returned home and then as he was chased out of town. And when you feel it, you've got it, ask yourself, what sort of hometown sermon would you preach? Create some time this week. Think about it. Write even. Like Jesus, you could start with, with your own core values. What are they? How do you come across them? Right? What is it about these values, your values, that make them core values for you? And then think about how they've shaped you. Who are you? And how'd you get that way? What is it like to be you, right? How would you tell your story to people who might have known you as a kid, right? With all the hometown dynamics, the family dynamics, the, the still learning how to talk about our own faith story and journey dynamics, what would you get up to proclaim? What's the good news on your heart, the gift that you would like to offer the world. Friends, I encourage you to think about writing a, a hometown sermon. Think about uh, what sort of fire is burning inside of you and how would you go about articulating it? And as always, advanced players mode, let me know if you'd like an opportunity to preach it someday. Blessings on your week. Blessings on the good parts, the hard parts, the, the parts that barely register. Blessings on all of it. And we'll see you next week. Amen.